Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at redtailedhawk90, and my co-host is Jade. Hello, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at jadeoxfordrose, as well as Instagram, if that's more your thing, and I use they, them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we are talking about book 26, The Attack. It is a Jake book, um, and it is the last book in kind of this first section that are written by K.A., as opposed to mm-hmm. a ghostwriter. Um, and it is a suitable kind of conclusion, uh, I think. It's um, a doozy. Mm-hmm. It, it sure is a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm always nervous when Danielle, like, when we're preparing to record episodes, like, oh, yeah, no, I think we're going to need, like, the four hours for this one. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> that's, a, that's a comforting notion. <laughs> Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels fitting that, like, this, before the Ghost Riders sort of take up uh, their part of the series, that we uh, we have a Jake book. So, mm-hmm. like, not quite <clears throat> coming full circle, but when you compare, like, this book to, um, the other, like, obviously the first book, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to think what, there's obviously the one that gets referenced directly in the prologue of this book and i'm trying to remember what the other book six was that it is uh okay yeah yeah that's the one that's referenced here yeah Mm -hmm. i was gonna say is there a a fourth one or is it just the three uh there is by now yeah there's the book one then Mm -hmm. there's when jake gets yerked then there's the Mm -hmm. amazon book and Ah, then there is uh the uh, the warning with the cannibal yerk. Ah, yes, yes, yes. How could I forget the cannibal yerk? Yes. And then, of course, the David book, but. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um. But, uh, yeah, this one, like, oh, book specific content warnings before we mm-hmm. dive in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a warning for PTSD. Uh, references to genetic engineering and eugenics and specific instances of heights and falling. Uh, this is beyond our usual sort of flight kind of heights. So, uh, yeah, just a uh, heads up for those people that uh, find those subjects uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, uh, yeah. How, how do you feel after reading this book, Jade? <sighs> I'm sad about Jake, Danielle. <laughs> I'm sad about Jake. Uh-huh. Um, perhaps unsurprisingly. Um, <laughs> what really struck me about this book is just how much K.A. are making it clear that this is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Like, what has happened to Jake in becoming this leader, this general in this war, 
and it has permanently fucked him. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. like having that laid out so clearly in a way that children would be able to read and go, oh, Jake is sad. Even if it's mm-hmm. just as simple as that, like even when Jake is trying to be happy, he cannot escape being sad. Yeah. And the fact that, let me tell you, we'll talk about like the ending couple of lines when we, when we get to it. Mm-hmm. It was one of those moments where I read it and I was like, Danielle's going to make that noise they make when I talk about this. When I'm like <laughs> bumping up against future events that they don't want to spoil for me, but it's impossible not to react to at all. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. You hear that chuckle? <laughs> this, is, this is what I live with. This is why I have to come up with my own devastating uh analyses <laughs> as we go it's it what keeps is what keeps things balanced between yep. us yep yeah it's been 20 years since i read it oh i never considered that that hurts <laughs> gotcha friend <laughs> friendship is sharing a, a formative piece of fiction with your friend and your friend going ha oh, this is really fucked up isn't it and you go oh yo no that, that is really fucked up isn't it <laughs> oh oh no <laughs> For fun, uh huh. For fun, I'd say I'd say add or profit, but there is no profit here. There is only fun and tears. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, should we get into it? Hell yeah, let's get into it. Uh, um, so this is a really evocative prologue. Mm-hmm. Like we've had a couple of very strong openers, but rather than this being like an in media res or something like that, we're with Jake in a dream. And it's stated from the from the jump that that's what it is. But there's something about his awareness as he describes what's happening that makes it sort of all the more upsetting because of that level of detachment that comes from having to narrate it to the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... The dream is about, as we were talking about before, uh, book six, uh, when Jake was yerked. And the uh, experience of feeling the yerk dying while inside him. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, specifically, we get, uh, we get it spelled out for us that uh, he is now kind of the keeper of the the memories of not only just of his yerk but also of the yerk's previous hosts uh and then the dream uh shifts to the part that he dreads because up until here it's a relatively normal nightmare uh but then uh, we see again the moment when the Yerk dies and Jake has that out of reality experience. Uh, like he's pe- peeking through a tear in a movie screen. Um, and he can tell in the dream what is coming and he wills himself to wake up but cannot. And he never can until the dream is complete. This is a recurring nightmare. 
and he sees once more the creature, uh, the, the eye. Uh, he describes it here, a creature or a machine, some combination of both. It had no arms. It sat still as if it were bolted down on a throne that was miles high. It could not move, and yet the power that flowed from it was like a hurricane of energy. Its head was a single eye. The eye turned slowly, left, right. I trembled. I prayed it would not look my way. And then it saw me. The eye, the blood-red eye, looked straight at me, through me. It saw me. Uh, and he can't get away from it, can't turn his head away, um, and the thing speaks a single word, soon, uh, and apparently always speaks the single word over and over again. Uh, in case your Sauron parallels were not strong enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really Sauron go hard on it. like ask motherfucker. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, but, so Jake wakes up and manages to kind of shake the last vestiges of the dream. Uh, but again, he's haunted by this creature. Uh, and its words to him. It Before we get into the, into the story, it's one of those things where um, it's entirely possible that the uh, that Krayak itself is what is causing this repeated nightmare that Jake mm-hmm. can't wake up from. Um, like, so obviously maybe sleep paralysis or whatever. Um, but also there's something to be said about um hypervigilance as a super common symptom mm-hmm. of PTSD mm-hmm. and Jake being beset by this constant dream and being told that something bad is coming by an unblinking eye that he can't stop seeing. Mm-hmm. Like, even if this weren't, being like Krayak's direct influence. Excuse me. That's just the fact that that is the particular thing that is constantly playing on Jake's mind feels like a deliberate nod on the writer's part. And if not, well done for accidentally stepping into that. Because <laughs> that's how it feels to read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also interesting to see, um, because we're in Jake's perspective, how freely he talks about being scared. Mm-hmm. Because when we've been in Jake's perspective before, he's talked about being scared and how he doesn't like to let himself feel scared because it's too easy to get lost in it. Mm-hmm. And how he needs to be brave for the others, uh, if not for himself. Mm-hmm. And seeing... This incident, and there's a bunch of incidents throughout this book where we are with Jake and see just how scared he is. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, if you needed a reminder that this is a 13 year old <laughs> dealing with this, you know. I mean, if you need the reminder, we're about to cut to a school assembly where they're watching The Lion King, as in, like, <laughs> 
like uh, some of the dancers from the production of the stage show of The Lion King. And I'm like, man, their school is fucking tight. If they're getting <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, goddamn. Uh huh. Um, but this is where we get our uh, intro mm-hmm. spiel. And it's uh, I always like get it seeing the the kids' different takes and how they talk about the situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, more I like how they talk about each other because yeah. specifically Jake's talking about the perspective of being an animorph and about and the way he talks about carrying this DNA of other animals with him mm-hmm. and about how he carries the mind of the animal with him when he's in morph, which. When you couple that with like him talking about being the guardian of these memories, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh, kid, you just, this is all just a burden for you, isn't it? These are just different things that you're having to carry. Mm-hmm. It's not an escape away. It's just like, I have this with me. I carry this. I feel this. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, <sighs> as I said, Danielle, I'm sad about Jake. <laughs> Um, but the way Jake dis- uh, describes, because he's in assembly at school, but we get this description of like, no, I'm not crazy. I feel like casual sanism is just a general warning for animals. Yeah. It's not a book specific warning. It's just like 90s writing. Yeah. Casual sanism is, is a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he explains this isn't delusional. This is a thing that's happening to him and his friends. We've got Marco, my main man. Rachel, my cousin, the war goddess. Cassie, the, ger- the girl I care about more than I do myself. We'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> Tobias, the friend I couldn't save from his own bizarre fate. An axe, an andalite, an alien. Danielle, would you like to talk about this? Because you highlighted one of those yeah. uh, sentiments. There's, there's, there aren't any qualifiers in that statement, Jade. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. the girl I care about almost more than I do myself. Or mm-hmm. anything like that. It's just the girl I care about more than I do myself. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, this is fine. <laughs> uh, uh, oh. it. Jake. Jake, buddy. I'm so glad that we got the button on some of the cat there's so- look for all you cassie jake shippers this is a <laughs> book you gotta read yes um but i as 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 much of a punch to the chest as his statement about cassie is and yeah. it is and i think it is that like daniel highlight that lack of qualifiers mm-hmm. it's just a statement of fact And like, it makes you wonder, is that, an, uh, is there a level of awareness there about his own behavior or whether it's just, I'm not quite sure what point I'm harping on about, but just like the fact that it's just there mm-hmm. in his mind where he doesn't have to justify himself to anybody. Mm-hmm. He can just say that. Yeah. And then, um, Marco, my main man, like as a, Shout out to the to the Marco Jake Shippers. I am not with you, but I can I salute you, and I'm and I'm with you in spirit. 
if I, even if I'm not getting on the bus, I'm over here with the other Marco Axe shippers being like, yeah, you kids have fun. <laughs> but the fact, <laughs> shout out to Kit because Kit was there in the, in the Discord channel the other day just like, look, it's good, but here's my thing. And I'm like, also my thing. But regardless, the fact that he describes Marco as his main man is just, it's that whole sort of my lieutenant, my first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's still that he uses the term main man. It's still in that light of friendship and his sort of go-to mm-hmm. as well. And then we have Rachel described as the war goddess. Yeah. Not the warrior. Yep. Not the soldier. Just like, no, no, no. A goddess of war. Like, glorious and terrifying and powerful. And, like, there's a danger to elevating somebody like that that's super interesting, given the journey we've seen Jake and Rachel go on so far. Uh Uh-huh. Desperately trying to keep dimorphing out of my head. Just like, no, no, shush you. You're your own very good thing. Um... But this is almost a new kind of dangerous way to view her, which mm-hmm. I find super interesting. But I suppose it's sort of like, because he can rely on that, it's like, you pray that Rachel's going to be there to pull your ass out of the fire. Mm-hmm. It's good and it's sad. And I'm mad about it. Yeah. And I can't believe I'm obsessing so much over just this one little sentence. <laughs> I have hey, become is... what I swore I never would in ninth grade English. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, then the way he described, he's still blaming himself for what happened to Tobias. Yep. Like, Jake, that's not your fault. <laughs> Jake! <laughs> Buddy! Nobody but you is blaming yourself for that. Mm-hmm. Like... And there's this sort of othering of Axe in this opening, which makes some of the stuff that happens between Axe and Jake as this book goes on very interesting also. Uh Like he's trying to keep this distance. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I'm not sure. But it, it strikes it as the way that Axe is being held at that distance. Compared to everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That it struck me as well. It's like, really, you can't can't After say After just describing them as his friends as a collective. <laughs> or he's just saying, Yes, I have a f- one of my friends is an alien. <clears throat> you know? Mm-hmm. It's eh. yeah. yeah. It's not even um, if if I feel like if they had like switched it and said like and axe an alien an andalite aris that would mm-hmm. be better right yeah but instead it's just hard stop this othering and not there's no mm. you don't learn anything about axe from this except that he's not human mm-hmm. but uh we go from there, and I don't know whether it's because it's that lead on to talking about who the Andalites are and then mm-hmm. explaining about the Yerks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we get the mention of the Ged, so we haven't gotten heard about much mm-hmm. recently, except maybe in brief passing. Um, which again is interesting, given some of the clearly it's deliberate. It's a deliberate foreshadowing of what's going to happen later. Mm-hmm. But it's like. I like, and I don't know whether the part of that is because of Jake carrying those memories of that Yerk's first host and things like that, but Mm -hmm. his awareness of sort of like the history of the Yerk's. But again, Mm -hmm. we could point that to the fact that he's doing his research on military history, know thy Mm -hmm. enemy, Mm -hmm. all all those upsetting things. Yep. I like the comparison to wasps uh, and the parasitism Mm. of wasps. Um, oh yeah, so, you mentioned that wasp all that long ago. I remember. Uh huh. Um, so, so he says here, uh, in their natural state, yurks are slugs who live in a liquid pool and absorb candrona rays for food. But evolution played an in- interesting trick with the yurks. Slowly, over the course of millennia, they grew to be a parasite species. They found the geds, another species on the yurk homeworld, and over time, they learned to penetrate into the very brain of the geds. Gross, weird. There's a species of wasp that lays its eggs in the living body of a caterpillar. When the wasps are born, they feed on the caterpillar. They eat the living caterpillar alive from the inside. That's on good old Earth. So what's weird? Anyway, the Yerks expanded. And it's just like, I like that... That... Acknowledgement of... Mm. Like, this... This doesn't have to be... Like this weird, gross other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you, it is no, it is no more strange than some of the things we have on our own planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting that that, uh, that is drawn here, that point of, well, it's not truly a point of comparison. He's not equivocating the two things. Mm-hmm. He's just saying, this is a gross, weird, this is the thing that happens here on Earth. Because a big thing in the book is talking about sort of like agency and the choices made, because the Yerks did choose mm-hmm. to do the things that they did. Right. Maybe they felt like they had no option, but it was still the choice of a sapient Yes. Species. Mm-hmm. But, um, and yeah, what it boils down to after the description of the Yerks is that the kids are alone. They do have, um, so they, he stresses that they're almost alone, that they do have the help of the Chi. Uh, he mentions the, um, Yerk peace movement. Mm-hmm. And also that, uh, that out further in the universe, there are the Andalites fighting. But for the most part, the kids are alone mm-hmm. in assembly, watching some performers from The Lion King. Yep. I like this note uh, because a lot of the other kids at the school were really kind of bored with this idea of watching this thing. A lot of be quiet, sit still, not to mention that it seemed a little young for us. Me, I like quiet and still. Didn't used to, but now I guess any time I get to sit quietly, no running, no morphing, no terror, no screams, no horrible decisions and horrible aftermath, I can handle sitting still and listening to music and watching big giraffes gallop around on stage. (laughs) Like, nobody. Give this boy a nap. (laughs) Yeah, just let this boy nap. There is something about, and I think 
because I I don't know, but I, th- I assume the kids are at a middle school or like a junior high mm-hmm. because we're never told about like significantly older students and Tom isn't there, who we know right. is a high schooler. Mm-hmm. But it just got me thinking about um, that comment about how oh, that, that show's a little young for us. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about how when you're at sort of 12, 13, 14 and like sort of on it further into your teens, you have this desperate need a lot of the time to be seen as a grown up, mm-hmm. to be seen as capable because um, you don't want to be seen as a child anymore. Mm-hmm. Which really, as I'm saying this, really leans into the, some of the themes highlighted in this book. But it's like, and Jake's just like, nah, I want to be a kid. I want to fall asleep from some boy. Like, mm-hmm. this is good. Mm-hmm. And I like but that he's the... Go ahead. Go on, please. No, you, you. I was going to move on. Yes, no good. It's good. As was I. So you're fine. Uh, yeah. So we have this description of what the others are doing in assembly. Marco is sitting ahead of Jake. Um, and he is wiggling his ears to the music in order to try to make Jake laugh so that he can turn around and shush him. <laughs> Which that is, is just... delightful. I love that friendship, <laughs> that is. Yeah, that is the perfect encapsulation of their friendship. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and Cassie and Rachel are behind Jake. Uh, Cassie is asleep because she just doesn't get enough of it. Uh, and Rachel... Uh, is sitting next to some dude who's apparently trying to hold her hand, but she's just, <laughs> Jake says, uh, Rachel had a kind of dreamy look on her face. You'd have thought she was enjoying the show. Only I noticed the guy sitting next to her was trying to hold her hand. And that dreamy look was Rachel wondering which of the guy's fingers she should break. <laughs> which mm-hmm. I've been there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, would you like me to point out a sad detail amongst all that good character stuff? Mm-hmm. Jake knows exactly where all the others are sitting and mm-hmm. what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Just that again, that hypervigilance. Yep. Yep. Because he's the leader. He needs to know where everybody is. Uh-huh. What In if something, something happens? happens? Yep. Mm-hmm. Ah, trauma. <laughs> uh, and then everything freezes in a way that we have seen only a handful of times before. Uh, the Elemist is here. Um, I do love how we have this small detail. As Jake stands, I just like, Rachel, wake Cassia. Uh-huh. It's just, and she just, I like that Rachel also just shoves Cassie's shoulder. No gentle <laughs> awakening. It's just like, Choom. it's just like, I'm awake, I'm yep. awake. Yep. It's like, ah, yes. <laughs> also well, friendship. Yeah. Well, it's gotta, it's, you have to wake up. There, There's danger. There, there, mm-hmm. there are anamorph things happening. You need to be aware. Yeah. Um, And then just... Um, suddenly appearing uh, is Tobias just out of nowhere who's forced to like bank so Mm -hmm. he doesn't like crash into a wall Mm -hmm. and Tobias immediately knows what's up yeah Um, to be fair 
Jake has not yet put it together, but Tobias is just like, where is the bitch? <laughs> Where's the bitch? <laughs> um, he doesn't say that, but he does demand, like, where is he? Mm-hmm. So, um, and then sort of Axe steps out from between the, uh, the, uh, the performers on the stage. And, uh, yeah. Um, Axe obviously looks nervous as hell because he's just appeared in the middle of the school around a bunch of humans in his normal form. Yeah. So. But yeah, uh, this is, and then they were just like, okay. Tobias is the one that says, mentions the Elamist. Um, Marco agrees, followed by a quick quip. Mm hmm. Uh, and then one of the other kids in the assembly stands up. It's just a girl in their class named Beth. Um, and it's obviously the Elemist. And Rachel's like, why, why are you using Beth's body? Uh, and the Elemist is like, I have chosen this form for a reason. I come today on a humble mission. I wanted a humble form, one that would not evoke feelings of dread or awe or reverence from you. Like, Bitch! <laughs> You've never been humble in your godforsaken life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, he sort of like steps up and away from Beth, but still in her form. Uh, just like Rachel calls her, just like, okay, so you're just a regular girl. No big show aside for the fact that you froze time and all. It's like, this is as humble as I know how to be. <laughs> <laughs> just like bitch. Uh, but he explains that he's there to tell them a story and see how they will choose to react. Uh, and Marco also drops a quip, um, and we get it from Jake's perspective. You have to understand, it's not that we weren't scared. We were scared, but we'd been scared by people who wanted to kill us. This was just creeped out scared. We ate creeped out for breakfast now. Beth's face smiled. She had braces. I will tell you a story. You will tell me the ending. But, uh, and we get a law drop. The Elemist explains about the Elemists, about how once they had hands, but, uh, that was a, like a billion Earth years ago. I like that we get a, a, almost a billion of your years. <laughs> really great on Marco's nerves. But, and sort of explains the, how much, how far ahead the Elemists were, mm-hmm. um, and comparing it to points in like human evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the Elemists have been as they are, like this level of power since the first dinosaurs walked mm-hmm. the earth. Um, and Marco cracks a joke. Um, mm-hmm. and the Elemist looks surprised then grins and it's just like the andalites could do with some of the human sense of humor and axe is just like pissed that, quite <laughs> frankly and not necessarily to be a, a gesture of annoyance mm-hmm. and explains how if the yurks had any sense of humor they wouldn't be the scourge they are which is an interesting little revelation or is mm-hmm. the Elemist being a judgy bitch? But I like that acknowledgement about 
humor being a very intrinsic mm -hmm. strength of yeah. humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Elemist goes on to talk about how uh, they watched the rise of species in the galaxy, helped where they could. They wanted companions. They wanted to learn. They imagined a galaxy filled with millions of sentient species, each with its own science and art and beauty. Um, but then approximately a hundred million Earth years ago, uh, they became aware of a new force in the galaxy, not a species, an individual. A fugitive from another galaxy chased out of that one by a power even greater than he. Uh, Rachel quips that uh, she thought that the Elemist were all powerful. And El the Elemist is like, nah, it only seems so from your limited perspective. Um, and it's, it, it's just a, an interesting sense of scale there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the Elemist continues, this new force began to make his presence known. He had different ideas. He wants a universe full of conflict, pain, and terror. He wants there to be one supreme species that has outcompeted all of the other ones. Uh, he that he can then be the boss of. That he can then be the boss of, right. And Cassie rightly compares this dude to a Nazi. <laughs> uh, and the Elemist is like, you, you know what? Yeah, kind of. I just say, in um, the moral sense. Yes. Which is an interesting point of comparison. Mm -hmm. um, explaining that uh, this uh, entity has different visions of what constitutes power. Mm -hmm. And how uh, well, he, this being literally wants to be able to control the strands of space time uh, to influence the laws of physics, uh, mm -hmm. to recreate the galaxy in his own image. Uh, and eventually become power enough to destroy the one power that's greater than him. Um, mm -hmm. Marco is like being Marco about it. It's like, okay, cool. Can we go back to the Lion King now? Cool um, story, bro. That's when. Cool story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and the Elemist explains that uh, he is called Krayak and looks to Jake and says, You have seen him and he has seen you. The eye. The armless half-creature, cre half half-machine. One by one, my friends looked at me. Challenging, questioning, neutral, skeptical, compassionate. And I was delighted because I was like, oh, I should make a note in the doc after reading that one <laughs> and saw that Danielle already had, because I was like, oh, wonder which of these refers to each of the kids. And then there's Danielle just like, so hey, before we go on... <laughs> <laughs> Which of the kids do you think each of these are? And uh, they had put them in exact order that I thought it too. So, you know, <laughs> great minds. Yep. Yep. Uh, so in order, we said Tobias is challenging. Marco is questioning. Axe is neutral. Rachel is skeptical. And Cassie is, of course, compassionate. Uh, I kind of did Tobias by process of elimination. Because I, I could knew see yeah. Marco and Tobias being the other way around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rachel's skeptical because she is generally disbelieving of all the Elemis bullshit. Tobias mm -hmm. Tobias recognizes more of the Elemis bullshit and like knows mm. that it knows that the Elemist has all of the power he says he has, 
but also knows that the Elemist doesn't really mm-hmm. uh, uh, play fair according to human sensibilities. Yeah. There's also to the point that uh, Tobias in his hawk form is always described as looking ready for a fight, like that mm-hmm. fierceness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could see how that would read as challenging and Axe doesn't have the same kind of facial expressions that humans do so probably does read as neutral mm-hmm. even if that's not necessarily how he feels about yeah. it well I think he would he would be trying to control his facial expressions because they're, mm. they're talking about his prince here Yeah, and so like as mm-hmm as a warrior under that prince, he has to, you know, it, yeah. it's a wait and see kind of approach. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it was nice to know that Danielle and I were on the same frequency on that one. <laughs> Makes me happy. Um, the Elmist explains how it was that Jake saw Krayak. Mm-hmm. Um, by, because it was that moment between life and death and uh jake broke the dimensional hold that blinds humans to things beyond themselves which is pretty fucking sick i gotta say mm-hmm. um it makes me wonder if every like it can't possibly be that every single host who's yerk starves uh sees mm. krayak like that can't possibly be the case no. I think I think this is Jake is already Jake is kind of already on the radar just because he is one of the Elemist's pawns. Yeah. That I think or even because the Elemist has drawn him into that weird space before anyway. Yeah. That it's easier for him to go in there. Sure. But um, uh, but yeah. so we get we get that reveal and that explanation of how it came to happen. Um, and the Elemist explains that uh, basically a hundred million years ago, uh, he and Krayak threw down, and the Elemist is upping the production values on his storytelling. <laughs> I will I will give the Elemist no credit. Uh I will drag as much as I see fit. But uh and we get this very uh this light show um running images and things like that and it's basically explained that because of the level of power these two entities were wielding the destruction was massive. Mm-hmm. Um a dozen sentient species all destroyed. Um, yeah, what was it? Uh, a tenth of the galaxy wiped out. Mm-hmm. Um, Cryak was injured in the process. Um, and Fabrica Space Time, uh, the software, as you humans would say, that runs the galaxy was damaged because of this explosion of power. And uh, it was enough to uh shatter Krayak's knowledge of space-time. But this wasn't necessarily easy for the Elmists either. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they decided, the Elmist and Cryak, that they could never make open war again because they would both lose too much in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, even because it sounds like it was a stalemate because the Elemist didn't want that amount of destruction and Cryak took more damage than he was willing to. Right. So the two of them have a bullshit agreement that now it's a game of chess rather than a schoolyard punch up. Yep. Um, and uh, there are hello. rules and limits. <laughs> hello, Cold War analogy. <laughs> Ah, yes, was wondering when you would get here. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, it's... and we see, um, and uh, finishing off his little slideshow of bullshit, um, the Elemist shows times he's played a role, uh, though never a controlling one. Bullshit. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> never outwardly. Um, <laughs> the times, um, he interacted with children, um, but specifically also showing um, returning Elfangor from his life on Earth to uh, the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they are, the kids are able to see how much the Elemist limits his involvement based on his abilities. Mm-hmm. Like he can do these incredible amazing things that are nothing compared to what he could do mm-hmm. um and the elemist lays it out the earth is part of the game he and Krayak are playing Krayak wants the yurks to win um and later um be absorbed by an even more vicious species um but that isn't what he's there to talk to them about because uh, there is a species in the galaxy a, that has a unique location in space-time. Uh, and Krayak wants to annihilate them, um, because, and it will make his power grow, and the Elemis can't let that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, his forces would become even more deadly, including the Yerks, and apparently will benefit from changes the Elemis cannot explain to humans or even to Andalites. Bullshit, sir. Bullshit. <laughs> You're talking out of your ass. I, just, I need to stop being so angry about it. I won't. <laughs> no. It's just not good for me. Yep. <sighs> uh, I'm so screaming the Discord channel about the Elemist being a fuckboy. It will make me is. very happy. He is, yeah. It, it's just like the vibe... And obviously KA couldn't know that, but it's like those sort of it feels very marketplace of ideas. Like, mm, just like I'm just very smart. And you 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 can't understand what yeah. I'm doing here. You're gonna have to trust me. It's very patronizing. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um but yeah, so the Elemist lays it out that he wants the animals to act as his champions um to decide the fate of the iskut is is so uh uh i think it's something like escort um cool works for me yeah because i i'm basing it off of the the pronunciation for ort cloud 
which is like sure. the, the the far well, out sense. thing of stuff on the solar system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so rather than it being a direct thing, um, two sets of champions are gonna fight it out. Mm-hmm. Um, to decide the fate of the escort. Um, cause, and if Krayak wins, this race is gonna be attacked, subjugated, and annihilated by another species. Um, mm-hmm. and when Axe asked the Elemist, he explains that it would be the Howlers who the Animorphs have heard of before. Um, but, uh, Krayak and the Elemist have agreed, no, no, we'll let, like, we'll have this token, like, fight here. Just, mm-hmm. And uh, Greg has got a group of seven howlers to pit against the Elemist's seven champions. And uh, and Rachel, being Rachel and utterly done with the Elemist's bullshit before he even starts talking, <laughs> is like, okay, so what's this got to do with us? Marco counts it out. Um, and there are uh, six anamorphs. Uh, and, and Cassie's just like, but we're just six. Who's the seventh? Like, what the hell? And the Elvis doesn't say anything. And then we mm-hmm. get Cassie said a word I've never heard her use before. The Cassie says say fuck. fuck. <laughs> Good for them. Um, and, uh, the Elvis leaves saying, this must be your choice, yours alone. Um, and then the assembly starts back up again. Yes, the Elemist disappears, Axe and Tobias disappear, then time starts up again. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, <sighs> hi, let me give you the illusion of choice. What's up? Yes, yes. Um, you're good yeah. people, so you'll choose to do the good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... it's like I- it's gross. Yes. It is. It's very much. He knows exactly what he's doing when he does this. He gives them exactly enough information that they can come to the conclusion he wants them to come to. Uh, in so that it seems like it's their own idea, but he's the one who gave them the tools to figure that out in the first place. So like. Mm-hmm. He can, he can say to Kryak, oh no, I didn't interfere. I didn't tell them what to do. But like, also the way that he interferes, uh, <coughs> is smart enough. And, uh, when we read the El- Elemis Chronicles in a year and a half, um, <laughs> I think it will, become obvious why he works this way. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, it is very much a skill that he is aware that he has and that he is employing. Mm. But, yeah, it is it is extremely Cold War analogy. Um, and I, I, I do like that it's in here because we're very firmly on the side of the Animorphs, who are the, uh, the like, the, the people being manipulated by these 
larger powers. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not necessarily supposed to, we're supposed to see the Elemist as like generally good, but also be pissed at him 90% of the time. Mm hmm. So. It's giving me a urge to rewatch Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, I've got to say. <laughs> uh, so as soon as the assembly is over, everyone just bolts out of the school. Uh, there's supposed to be a final partial period, but half the school is blowing that off, so they just left. Um, they meet <laughs> at the barn. <laughs> Tobias and Axe are already there, um, knowing that everyone will want to meet. Um, and as soon as Tobias confirms that... Uh, there's no one nearby or within earshot. Yes. Uh, everyone starts talking about this bullshit. To be fair, it seems like everybody starts yelling. <laughs> yeah. Um, Marco is mad that this dude who is apparently the most powerful creature in the galaxy continues to just make them fight his battles. Rachel agrees with Marco in a lot of respects. Like, like we don't have fucking enough to deal with here. Um, uh, Axe takes the... Uh, more practical approach like really the only reason we should agree to this is if there's some kind of benefit for us in it and tobias is kind of on the fence he's like well you know he has helped us before uh so he probably wouldn't be coming to us if he didn't have some kind of carrot to offer um but rachel is pissed at the elemist um because uh -huh. she she views the elemist as having tricked tobias <clears throat> told us one thing and done another. Um, and we get Jake, Jake's insight on that particular exchange. Uh, Tobias had thought the Elemis would return him to normal. Instead, he merely gave Tobias back his morphing powers. But that had not been a lie or a trick. Not really. He'd promised to give Tobias what he wanted. He had. It was Rachel who couldn't accept that Tobias had chosen and still chose to remain a hawk. <laughs> I love that detail and it hurts. It's yep. so good. Yeah. It's Rachel who just wants something normal in her life and wants Tobias to be safe. Just being angry at the situation that requires that the Elemis didn't take the step further and mm. take the choice out of Tobias's hands because Tobias would always choose to remain in the fight. Uh, Just like Rachel would for that matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she knows that about Tobias. Um, she understands why he is making the choice that he is making. Um, which is why she's not mad at Tobias. She's mad at the Elemist for not giving Tobias a choice that would result in him being human. Yeah. But, um, at that point, we've got that sort of, that devastating insight from Jake hanging in the air. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Cassie's the one who brings up why does the howlers sound so familiar mm -hmm. and Jake 
uh, out that it was the Howlers who destroyed the Pamelites, the creators of the Chi. Uh, that's who they'd be going up against. Um, seven of them against seven of us. Marco points out seven, I count six. Uh, and Jake's like, I think I know who our seventh would be. Marco rolls his eyes um, and posits like Eric's name like it's a question. And Jake's just like, payback. Who else would care as much about hurting the Howlers? And uh, Marco is just like, he can't fight. He's an android program never to hurt anyone. He'd be dead weight. And why are we talking about this like it's time to choose up teams? We hurt this Karak, we hurt the Yerks. Tobias said, the Elemist loses, we lose. Um, Wait a minute, Tobias. Rachel said, you know I don't run from a fight to a fight, maybe, Marco interjected. But are we supposed to believe we're the Elemist's only choice here? There's no one else in the entire galaxy can go, who can go pound on these howlers. Why us? And Axe agrees with Rachel, just like, why not seven battle-trained war- Andalite warriors? Uh, to which point Marco's just like, excuse? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's just like, what are we, wimps? Me and Gorilla Morph, you as you, let's go. We'll see who kicks whose butt. Yes, that will be the sensible thing to do. You two fight, Cassie says dryly. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, funny, good. And then we just get gross teen boy behavior. I use that term in big old. Um, And he's a little, is gross, frankly. Um, uh, At which point Rachel, uh, to counter the grossness, just grabs hold of Marco's hair. Um. Just like, what was that you said? I must not have heard correctly. To which I, was like, I refuse to answer on the grounds that you may tend to snatch me bald. <laughs> um, and to be fair, I don't like that sort of when the dynamic between Rachel and Marco goes there, but because it's just, but also I would probably want to grab onto the hair of somebody that said that to mm-hmm. me. So it's all, it feels very believable. Yes. That was one of the few times I can think of that we've seen Rachel be physical like that with the banter mm-hmm. with Marco, mm-hmm. which my brain's like, hmm, I'm going to pay attention to that or try to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's all this ban- this stuff going on and Tobias is there just like, I'm starting to see Rachel's point. Why would the Elemist ask for help from this clown college? <laughs> which is just very good. But Cassie is the one who asks, could they win? Could they save an entire sentient species and maybe help themselves in the process? Really, that's the question. And she points out, yeah, that she's not Rachel. She hates fighting. But the Elemis is the one who put the fate of an entire race on this scale. And they don't know how many of the uh, escort there are. Could be billions. And we're even asking ourselves if we should. How do you not at least try? Um, and Marco's like, okay, now it's our job to save the Iskut. What, what is an Iskut? And looks at Axe and Axe is like, mm. <laughs> this is actually a slight KA fucked up because it says Axe um, shook his head. Uh, a habit he picked up them. Of course, when he, d- he does it while holding his stalk eyes still, except he's described as being in human morph. I think it says there's like a blink and you'll miss it sentence. It's like, oh, he demorphs from human morph. Okay. Now that the other animorphs are here. Fair enough. 
I'll let it go. Mm-hmm. I only know this because we get once again reminded that it's disturbing how beautiful Axe is in Human Morph. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not disturbing how beautiful he is. He's disturbingly beautiful, which I yes. appreciate is a different thing because it's a mix of seeing your own features in somebody else's face. Mm-hmm. But also it bugs me. Yes. And it will continue to bug me. Yes. Uh, and Jake is finally weighs in. He normally doesn't like to weigh in. Uh, I'm supposedly the leader, but to me there are times when the best thing a leader can do is let others work things out for themselves. But I had to say something. Uh, and he says that he thinks there may be something else going on here with the Elemis choosing the Animorphs. Uh, and Marco puts together, uh, well, the Elemis did say something about you seeing Krayak. Um, and Jake admits that, yes, he did when the Yerk died in his head. And since then, he's had dreams. Um, and he keeps going like, you know, dreams are weird. Uh, and everyone... Ha- like we we all have terrible dreams uh but this these feel real um and uh Cassie asks what Krayak says to Jake in his dreams um and he says he just says soon uh and so Rachel's like all right well what does this tell us uh Krayak already doesn't like us so we go and fight his hand picked team Maybe win? <laughs> uh, and Tobias is the one who understands. No, this is about some kind of side bet. The Elemist and Krayak mm. have their main event. Do the Iskrut live or die? But maybe there's some action on the side. Us. Maybe that's why he chose us. Maybe there's another level. I don't know, Tobias. Uh, Rachel asks what other level. Tobias says, I don't know. But here's the thing. It's down to Krayak versus Elemist. Krayak already has it in for Jake, at the very least. Not to mention he backs the Yerks. Not to mention we know the Howlers are just as bad. The Elemist wouldn't pick us if he didn't think we had a chance. Um, and they kind of all go around, and it looks like everybody is agreeing. Um, comes down to Marco. Uh, Marco says, first of all, I'm in, but I just want to point out one thing. The Elemis didn't force us. He asked us. Our choice. And maybe he's right that we can do this. But part of the reason we're saying yes is that this Krayak thing has been taking pokes at Jake. And Krayak plays the same long, patient games the Elemist does. Maybe Krayak wants us there. Maybe he wants us to say yes. And you know what? That's not because he thinks we'll win. Uh, but they all vote yes. Um, and... Jake says it's not unanimous until Eric votes, but Eric has been here the whole time, uh, standing <laughs> in the middle of them as a hologram. Uh, as you do. As you do. Uh, Eric has been brought up to speed about everything that's going on by the Elemist. Um, and he says he, you know, he wants to go. He has to go. Uh, Rachel says, you can't fight, no offense, but I'd rather go get Jarahemi or one of the other free Horkbajir. Or, like Axe said, an Andalite warrior. We need firepower. Yes, but that won't be enough. Uh, you won't defeat the Howlers in one-on-one combat. They're too deadly. You'll need more than your morphs. You'll have to outthink them. And I know them. I know the Howlers. Uh, and then the LMS is like, alright, you chose? 
And Jake's like, yeah, can we have a few days to... And no, they, they don't get a few <laughs> days. They're instantly transported to Iscord. Um, what a prick. <laughs> uh, uh, the Elemis says that their families won't know that they're gone, but if they die, if they die in the game, they die in real life. Um, <laughs> and the fight has begun. Ah, yeah, you're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> 